God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from New Life with campuses in Kearney, North Platte, and Ogallala. Here's Pastor Jeff Baker. So in each of these letters, what I love about it is that there's a formula. And the formula first starts out with Jesus saying, look, I want to motivate you to hear my instructions, hear my true heart. So I want to motivate you by giving you a clear picture of who I am. And so every one of these letters starts out with Jesus giving his church a revelation of who he is. Then in each of the letters, Jesus in some way, shape, fashion, or form, like encourages them with something that they are doing well. And then he comes back and he challenges them with the things that need to change in their life. They need to repent of. And then he finishes each of those letters with a reward. If you repent, right, if you follow my instructions, if you change, here is the reward that I promise you. And I love that about Jesus. I love the fact that Jesus motivates his church to do what he wants them to do and to change based on a fresh revelation of who he is, right? An understanding of who he is, that's what allows them to start worshiping him. So first it starts with Jesus. And Jesus is the Savior, and he is the head of his church. Take a look at what Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 has to say about the issue. It says, this is the message from the one who has the what? Sevenfold Spirit of God and the seven stars. So Jesus starts out with a big revelation of who he is. He goes, look, I'm the one who has the sevenfold Spirit of God, and I hold the seven stars as well that are over these churches. What is the sevenfold spirit of God? Very quickly, just to break it down for you, it is the Holy Spirit of God. Why seven? Well, because throughout the Bible, you find the, the word seven and the number seven reflecting the perfection of God or the completeness of God. Think all the way back to Genesis and creation happened in seven days. There were six days of work, one day of rest. God said it's finished, it's perfect, right? It was, it was perfect, it was complete. All of creation was. So whenever you see the word seven, you can quickly you know, summarize that God's talking about something that's perfect and he's talking about something that's complete. What God's not trying to say here to us is this. Oh, surprise, throughout all of scripture, all I ever, all I ever told you was there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the, God the Spirit what we call the Trinity, the three in one, not three distinct gods, one God in three distinct persons, right? And God told us this throughout all of Scripture. So it's not here in Revelation chapter 3 that God's now all of a sudden surprising us. He goes, hey, surprise, it's not three, it's seven, sorry. No, God's not doing that because God's not a one that's going to play tricks with us and, you know, mess with our minds in that kind of a way. So what is it that God's really trying to drive home for us? That, look, he being God, his spirit, his spirit is perfect. And the Holy Spirit that leads the church is a perfect spirit of God. But he also is trying to let us know, look, there is the work of the Holy Spirit that happens as well. And there are many facets of the work of my spirit, like the prophet Isaiah identified in chapter 11, verse 2, when he said these words, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. What? The spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of, of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. 
So look, you do see that there are manifestations of the Spirit that are multiple, that are many, but I don't believe it's just nailed down to seven. I think seven was just being used symbolically to let us know that God's Spirit is perfect. And here's the big idea. The big idea of the whole thing wasn't pointing just to the Spirit of God. It was pointing to the Son of God. Jesus is the one writing the letter. Jesus is the one who says this, I hold or I have he has the sevenfold Spirit of God. So if the Spirit of God is perfect, then what is it saying about Jesus? Jesus is complete. He lacks nothing. That Jesus is perfect. That there's no fault in him. That's the bigger message to take away. That's the takeaway of the whole thing. Not to get confounded with, well, what does all these seven spirits mean? Like if you chase that, you chase a rabbit trail down a rabbit hole. Right? But if you chase what he's really saying, he's saying, look, seven is a perfect number. My spirit is perfect, and I have it. Therefore, your Savior, Jesus, is perfect, and he is complete. But Jesus also said what he said in week one of our series, that he holds the seven stars. We know what he said about the seven stars, that they are the seven angels of the churches. And again, it's not, it's not just that Jesus only reigns over seven angels, over seven churches. Because if that's the case, then is he reigning over our church? You see what I mean? What he's really saying is this. I am the, I'm the ultimate authority over all of creation, both seen and unseen. Jesus is amazing that he's perfect, he's complete, and he's all-powerful. And when his church, when the church of Sardis, when they get this, He's wanting to motivate them now to hear his challenge to them so that they can start living out the life that he actually designed for them to live. And you and me today, as we're reading this, now after a couple of thousand years later after it was written, you and me today should have this image of our perfect, complete, and our powerful God that causes us to lean in and it says, okay, Jesus, what do you got for me today? What, what are you gonna challenge me with today? Like, what, what are you going to inspire me with today? How are you gonna instruct me today through your word? Like you are all inspiring, Jesus. It's because of who you are that I wanna be more like you. And so Jesus motivates you and me today with this beautiful picture of how complete and how perfect and how all-powerful he really is. And church, if you get that, if you get that, then the rest of the letter, you're ready to receive. Your heart is at a place where you're ready to say what word? Thank you for the three of you that got me. I appreciate that. And all of Ogallala that got that. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And online, everyone online got the word what? Oh, there we go. Okay, we're all together. So now that you're in that place, there are two things that this church was doing that I want you to see. Right? The first thing, though, that I want you to look at with me, it looked good, but underneath the surface, it was actually deadly. Just like what we talked about at the beginning of the message. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, it said these words. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation of being alive. This church had a reputation of being alive. Now look, you know that right after that comes a but. All right, because he's going to challenge them. So you and me already know this, okay? And we're going to deal with that in the very next point that I'm dealing with, the change. But can we just pause for a moment? And can we just highlight the fact that it's okay for a church to have a reputation of being alive? I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a church that's dead. You don't want to go to a church that's dead. So we want to go to a church that has a reputation for being alive. But then underneath the surface, what we want of that church is what? 
for it to actually be alive, right? You don't want to come to a church and go, wow, this church had a reputation of being alive, but wow, this church is dead. Man, this church has dead worship. Man, these guys don't even preach God's word. Wow, the lobby is just a gossip hall. Man, these guys hate each other. Did you realize new lifers are in court suing each other? That's not actually true. But I'm just saying, that would be a church that's dead. That would be a church that's dead. Like nobody wants to go to that kind of church. Everybody, in fact, Jesus wants his church to have a reputation, by the way, for being alive, and it is okay to be a church that's alive. What is a church that's alive? Let me break it down for you really quick. A church that actually preaches God's word. That's a church that's alive. A church that has the spirit of God manifest in its services. Like some of you, you've told me in the lobby, I don't know what's wrong with me, pastor. I cried my way all the way through the service. There's something wrong with me. I go, nope, there's nothing wrong with you. What you experienced was the spirit of God all the way through that service. What a beautiful moment for you. Right? And many of you have experienced the Spirit of God inspired through our worship even. A church full of people that are living the witness of Jesus Christ in the community. That's a church that's alive. Not just a church that plays religion like when it comes to gather on Sunday, but a church that actually cares about its witness in the community. That's a church that's alive. That's who you are, by the way. A church that's compassionate to the needs of others. Wow, that's a life-giving church. A church that actually cares about the needs of others. A church where people serve in ministry. Guys, look, we do this good, but we could do this great. All right? There's a lot of open slots of ministry all over the place, and many of you could step up and you could help serve in ministry. Let me just tell you this. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. That when you serve in ministry, there's something that happens in you. That can only happen in you when you serve in ministry. You want to be a part of a church that's alive? Let's have a church that sees the majority of the people serving in ministry. I'll tell you another thing that defines a church that's alive is a church where people honor God with their tithes. And can I just say this to you, New Life? You guys are an amazing church when it comes to honoring God with your tithe. Thank you so much for being a faithful group of people that honors the Lord with your tithe. And if you're not, look, take a step of faith. Step out. I think you're going to discover that God is faithful when you put him first in your finances. A church that's generously focused on building the kingdom of God. What? You guys just saw a Kingdom Builder video earlier in the service. You, you guys live that. That's a church that's alive. You don't just care about yourself, right? You care about the needs of others, and you generously help make that happen. A church that's Jesus-focused. You cannot be a church that's alive without being Jesus-focused. Jesus is the center of his church. He's the head of his church. If you come to church and you're tired of hearing about Jesus, you better check the spiritual pulse of your heart. Jesus is the centerpiece. A church that's alive is a church that puts Jesus in the center of all things. A church where people are actually finding Jesus. You know what I love about New Life? There's rarely a week that goes by that someone isn't committing their life to Jesus at our services. And I'm not talking about randomly raising their hand at an altar. Well, I'm talking about people that actually like fill out a card or they text new right? They're texting into us. They're letting us know, like, hey, look, my name's Jeff Baker. I'm committing my life to Jesus right now. Would you please help me take the next steps? They're giving up their anonymity. Thank you for being people like that. I'll tell you what. Last, one last thing about a church that's alive is a church that celebrates lives being changed by Jesus. 
Because look, if you don't have lives being changed, you're not a church that's alive. How can you say you're alive if people aren't actually being changed into the image and the likeness of Christ? That's a fallacy. We want to be sold out to Jesus in such a way that people are finding Jesus and their lives are being changed. Amen? Amen. But Jesus also said something that some of them were doing well. In verse 4 he says, there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. Some, not all, some are doing it good, but not all. And I love that about Jesus. Don't you love that about Jesus? Don't you love the fact that Jesus just doesn't lump everyone together just because you're a part of new life and there is a group of people that are off in left field? Don't you love the fact that Jesus doesn't say, oh man, all of you guys are in left field? Don't you love that Jesus sees you as an individual? He sees you for who you are. He knows you. He knows what you're doing. And he says, in the midst of this church, that is a church that has lost its way. It has definitely lost its way. In the middle of a church that's lost its way, Jesus is going, but there's some of you that haven't. There's some of you that are sold out to me. I love that about Jesus. He goes, some of you have not soiled your clothes. The minute I read that, my mind flashed back to a little kid with his church clothes on, wanting to go outside and play before it was time to go to church, and hearing my mother say, you better not get any grass stains in those jeans, or those pants, or whatever, right? I heard that voice, and then I remembered getting the grass stain. I remembered the punishment, but I also remembered an amazing mom that knew how to get a grass stain out of my pants right? And she had to do it over and over and over again. I also thought about soiling your clothes. Um, I, I thought about like going out to eat and you get food on your clothes. Isn't that a, like a bad date, by the way? You ever been on a, like, I'm not talking about like a, like going out with, with your wife, okay? Uh, I'm talking about when you were dating, right? You ever go out on a date when you were dating and you're eating, and then before you know it, you get up, and the, and the person you're on the date with has to whisper to you, oh, by the way, you, you got barbecue sauce all down your shirt. <laughs> it's not a good day. It's not a good day, people. Especially when that was told to you three hours after dinner, okay? Like, that's not a good day, right? Soiling your clothes is no fun. And Jesus is saying this, look, you haven't soiled your clothes. You haven't rubbed yourself in. You haven't defiled yourself in with the world. James talks about the same issue in chapter 1, verse 27, when he says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And, read the last part with me, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Because that's what pure and real religion is. That's what genuine following of Jesus is. Not just doing the things that make you look alive. Not just caring for the needs of others to make yourself look alive. But it's also living a life in such a way that you're not soiled by, corrupted by the sin of this world. That's what he's trying to drive home for us here. So church, listen to me. Saying no to sin and saying yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit, it matters Jesus notices your effort. And let's continue to lean into that. Let's continue to lean in to be that church that says, look, we're not going to let the world corrupt us. We're going to love this world, but we're not going to be corrupted by it. We're not going to be soiled by it, okay? Because the last thing you want is this. The last thing you want is to get, get to heaven thinking that you are pure as white, standing there dark as black, soiled by the sin of the world. 
That's the last thing that you want, right? So this church, this church had some people that were living a godly life, but for the most part, they refused to do that. And this church had some serious issues that needed to change in their life. I just want you to know this about change. No one's perfect, but these guys were living in deception. Take a look at Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read verse 1 again through verse 3. It says this, I know all the things that you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but, there it is, but you're what? You're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. I don't know about you, but that has some gravitas to it. That has some weight to it. That's a heavy rebuke. But before we even get into this rebuke, I want you to know this. Where is this church and where are these people at right now? They're in the hands of the Lord. They're in the hands of their Savior. That shows you the commitment. It shows you the love of Christ. That he's going, look, this is where you are. This is what's really going on. But yet I'm still holding you. But I just want you to know this, church. He's not going to hold them forever. And in our lives, we might be this church. We might be these people. And Jesus might be holding you right now. But he will not hold you forever. He will not allow you in his desperate love for you. He will not allow you to live in deception. So let's break this down. Verse 1, it said that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. In this world, there are some scary things. Many people have phobias. All different sizes and shapes. Phobias of the dark, scary. Phobias of snakes, scary. Phobias of spiders, super scary. That's one of mine, okay? Like Many people have phobias. And these little things can be big things and seem scary. But in this world, there are some serious scary things as well. Like getting robbed at gunpoint. Having a gun pointed at your face and being robbed. Scary moment. A terrorist attack or being caught in a terrorist attack. Scary moment. A nuclear war. Scary moment. A child being abducted or kidnapped. Scary But nothing, and hear me clearly, nothing is scarier than thinking that you're spiritually alive only to find out you're spiritually dead. Nothing. Nothing even comes close to it. Why? Because the scary things of this world are just that. They're of this world. They're here today. They're inflicted from one person to another. They're phobias that we carry on this world, but they're going to disappear one day. The scary thing about being spiritually dead is an eternity separated from God. So how do you become spiritually dead, although you thought you were spiritually alive? And that's when you start running on spiritual empty. Because you can fake being spiritually alive while running on spiritual empty. It's like your car. Some of you are notorious at driving your car on empty. In fact, let's just do a quick survey really quick, all right? We're all going to raise our hand at one point or another. How many of you guys, like, when your car gets half empty, you're starting to look for a gas station to fill it up? How many of you guys are like that? Okay, the half empty people. How many of you guys are the people that fill up your car when the fuel light comes on? The fuel light comes on, now you fill up the car. You're not going to fill that thing up until the fuel light comes on. I don't care if I'm in the middle of the desert. But how many of you, where are my people who run way beyond empty before they ever fill up, and they're like, I know exactly how far I can go. 
Can, can, I, can I just say this to the last group? As a pastor, forget it, forget, forget as a pastor. As a dad who's raised four kids and grandchildren that will soon one day start to drive. If you behave that way, sooner or later, you're going to run out of gas. You will be the person on the side of the road who needs the push, right? And in our spiritual lives, you can run on spiritual empty, but here's what's going to happen. If you, you run on spiritual empty and you're looking like you're spiritually alive, all of a sudden one day you wake up, you lost righteousness. All of a sudden one day you wake up, you lost faith. All of a sudden one day you're empty and you have no compassion. All of a sudden one day your generosity is gone. Your wisdom is gone. All of a sudden one day if you run on spiritual empty, all of a sudden one day you find your love is gone. You'll find yourself distant from God. You'll find yourself in a pile of sin. So you might fool some people to think that you're spiritually alive for a season. You might even fool yourself, which is scary to think that you're spiritually alive, but you'll never fool God. You can't fool God. This is what Jesus said about the issue in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He goes, look, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, that's scary, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Even Jesus was talking about a group of people that had a reputation for being spiritually alive. They prophesied. They cast out demons. They even performed miracles. But they were what? Spiritually dead. It's scary, church. So how do you remain spiritually alive without becoming spiritually dead? You do what Jesus said in his letter to the church of Sardis in verse 3. He says this, Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. That's the instructions. You may not like it, but that's the instructions. It may seem daunting and difficult, but that's the instruction. It's wrapped up in what I love is like, look, if I wrote this, if I wrote that, it's actually two, two sentences, but if I wrote it, it would be one sentence. It's because I don't know how to write very well. So I'm just saying it could be summarized up in one long sentence that an English teacher would correct, but it could be summarized up in one sentence. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to imagine right now. Imagine what it would be like just resting in the presence of God. Just imagine it. Resting in the presence of God. Knowing that you are close to God. Knowing that he loves you. And knowing that you're going to spend eternity with him. Just imagine what it would feel like to know that he loves you. That you're close to him. And that you're going to spend eternity with him. Because the word that should be coming to our hearts right now is the word hope. But hope is found in this way. It's found through repentance. When we repent, hope is found. You can't get hope any other way. You have to find it through repentance, which gets you close to God. I want you to imagine now. I want you to imagine waking up each and every day with joy in your heart. Joy in your heart. Thankful to be alive. What? To do what? To serve God one more day. I want you to imagine waking up feeling like you're full of purpose. Church, I got a word for that. It's called life. 
And life is found in one place. It's found when we hold firmly, like Jesus said, to the word of God and to his ways. Hope and life can be found. It's possible. But we're going to have to hold on to God's word. We're going to have to walk in repentance. We're going to have to hold firmly to God's ways. Then you can be spiritually alive. Because spiritual life, it starts with a devoted heart of obedience and surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. And some of us, we need to return back to that. Because look, there's a warning Jesus gives. He's basically driving home the point that, look, I'm going to let you know the day of the Lord is upon you. The return of Jesus could happen at any day. He says, I'm going to come back like a thief. When you least expect me to come, I'm coming. And where do you want to be? Do you want to be on the side of those who thought they had a reputation for being spiritually alive, but they were dead? Or do you want to be a group of people who are truly spiritually alive and that under the surface is what's fueling the life because they are devoted followers of Jesus Christ? They are followers of his way. They are repenters. That's where God wants us to be. And he says this, Jesus promised, he promises that there's the reward of a lifetime coming to those who will repent, seek him first, and put him first. In, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, he says, look, all who are victorious, say victorious. victorious. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Church, I got good news for you. Jesus has one agenda, one agenda, and this is what his agenda is. He wants to announce before all of heaven that you belong to him. That's what he wants to do, but he leaves it in your hands. But I'm telling you right now, he leaves it in your hands to choose if you're going to truly be spiritually alive or just have a reputation for being alive. Right? He leaves it in your hands, but I'm telling you right now, the agenda of Christ is to present you before his Father without fault and with incredible joy. That's what he wants. But for you and me, we have to choose to live victorious. Yes. And choosing to live victorious, I just want you to know this, is not perfection. It's not perfection. You can't make yourself white, clothed in white. Jesus said, I'm the one who does that. You can't, get your na- you can't write your own name in the book of life. Jesus is the one that says, I do that. And I'm the one that secures it there. Here's what a victorious life looks like. Put Jesus first in all things and in all ways and live a life of repentance before him every day. And when the Holy Spirit convicts, we repent. So right now, you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is, he's, I guarantee you, Jesus right now is going, Church, I hope you heard my word. To all who have an ear, may they hear the word. Why? He gave us two ears to hear his word today so that one day Jesus could do exactly what he wants to do. Hey, hey, everybody! Everybody, quiet down, quiet down. Hey, shut down the flute and the harp and those other biblical instruments that I don't know. Like trees, stop singing. Flowers, stop singing. Everyone, quiet, quiet, quiet. I want to introduce to you somebody. This, is, this person is mine. His name is Jeff Baker. Yeah. Jesus is looking to do that for you in heaven. That's what he wants to do. He's waiting right now for that moment. So lay down the spiritual facade today. Repent and let your heart come alive again today. Repent and let your heart come alive. Be transformed from the inside out today.
to worry about what others think. At all of our campuses, the altars are for the hungry. You come, you stand, and you, you repent to God. You come, and you kneel, and you repent to God. You make your seat an altar. But today, let's get our hearts right so we don't just have a reputation for being alive, but that we are truly spiritually alive, not just on the outside, but it all starts from the inside. Amen? And that starts with repentance and dedicating ourselves to following Jesus and his ways. Amen? Are you with me? Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Jeff Baker at New Life. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.